Hello and welcome to Complete Caribbean, a Travel Pulse podcast all about the world's favorite warm weather destination, the Caribbean. I'm writer, editor, and Caribbean travel expert, Jet Set Sarah. And I'm Brian Major, managing editor here at Travel Pulse. We're happy to have you join us today as we discuss the ins and the outs of Caribbean travel and we share the latest info and intelligence on this wonderfully diverse region. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 7 of Complete Caribbean. I'm Jet Set Sarah, and with me is my wonderful co-host, Brian Major. How are you doing, Brian? I am doing great, Sarah. Pleased to be with you again, my wonderful co-host. Yes. Well, we got lots to talk about today. We're going to talk about hotels. We're going to talk about destinations. Of course, we're going to talk about cruise. And we are also welcoming a very special guest. It is Mr. Anthony Mahler. He's the Minister of Tourism for Belize. We're going to talk to him later. But first, let's talk this just in. What's happening in the world? I will start off. And as you know, I always like to start off with some good Caribbean news. So my first item today is about the French islands of Martinique and Guadeloupe. Hooray and ooh they reopened <laughs> on June 21st. Um, as of June 21st, America was added to the island's green list. And now, if you want to visit, and you should, you can. The entry requirements are pretty much what we're seeing across Caribbean countries. Um, either a negative PTR test result, sorry, PCR test results within 72 hours of arrival, or a negative rapid test result within 48 hours of arrival. If you're vaccinated you, and you can show proof of it, the good news is you don't have to quarantine. But if you're not, you're looking at a seven-day quarantine. So if you're not vaccinated you, and you want to go to Martinique or Guadalupe, you're going to be there for at least seven days before you can get around the island. Um, speaking of getting around there, well, how do you even get there? From the U.S., there are some choices. You can either connect through St. Martin, but remember, now that we now have to apply for entry to every country we pass through, you will have to meet the entry requirements for St. Martin before you even go on to Martinique and Guadeloupe. So remember that if you go via St. Martin. But if you can wait until November, JetBlue is going to be starting a three-time-a-week service nonstop from JFK into Pointe Pete in Guadeloupe. And American will start a twice-weekly flight into the island from Miami beginning in November also. But if you want to fly nonstop earlier, you could also you could always take Air France, which starts weekly, sorry, twice-weekly services from Miami next, oh no, not next month, this month, July. Um, and then for Martinique, if you've got Martinique on the mind, you can connect via St. Martin on Air Caraibe. Or if you want to wait until November, till just about the start of the season, you can get there nonstop twice a week on American. Of course, we always refer you to the source because things are always changing. So you should go to the official tourism websites for Martinique. It's us.martinique.org. And for Guadeloupe, which many people don't know, it's not one island. It's actually an archipelago of five islands. Their website is guadeloupe-islands.com. Well, I, you know, I, you know, I, I'd forgotten. I think I'd forgotten that about uh, Guadalupe in particular. It's an archipelago, which uh, another uh, aspect of diversity of the Caribbean. So yep. I can only say to all of that, Sacrebu, because, uh, <laughs> Sacre because that is a lot of access <laughs> for the French Caribbean. Yes. And, uh, as Sarah knows, it is a, it's a wonderful part of the Caribbean. Again, just another 
distinctive place in our in our wonderful Caribbean region. So I'm going to go now to um, uh, some cruise Caribbean cruise news because we we always keep you updated there. And you know, and that's been quite a week, right, Brian? Oh my goodness, it it has been. I mean, you know, it it, start, it went from kind of like. Um, limited access and limited and like the gates opened i think somehow mm -hmm. certainly so um certainly um we have uh july 4th was kind of a watershed in caribbean cruising from u.s ports the two largest lines um royal caribbean and carnival both sailed from port of miami this past week um with 93 percent of its passengers vaccinated royal caribbean's freedom of the seas sailed on the first of a summer long series of three and four night cruises to Perfect Day at Coco Key, which is their private island destination in the Bahamas. And the itinerary also includes Nassau, uh, you know, always one of the largest cruise ports. Mm -hmm. um, the same week, um, July 4th, um, Carnival Cruise Lines Carnival Horizon departed from Port Miami on a six day cruise that calls at Amber Cove in the Dominican Republic and Half Moon Key, which is Holland America Line, the Carnival Corp a private Bahamian island. Um, you know, Carnival President Christine Duffy this past week, she said when, when all these sailings went off, she said, uh, Carnival, Miami is Carnival's number one home port in terms of cruise ships and passenger embarkation. Sarah, the city that Sarah lives in, she, she yes. knows this. And uh, needless to say, the return of Miami really opens up um, a whole nother side of Caribbean cruising. You could always, you know, you could recently already, as Sarah and I have detailed, sail from Caribbean ports on Caribbean cruise itineraries earlier. But now um, Miami opens up more, the, the, the cruise lines are more uh, able to put together more itineraries. You're going to be mm -hmm. able to sail to more Caribbean destinations with Miami being available. And then as Sarah has also made, always made the point, it's more efficient. Um, you could drive to the port even if you're within region yeah. or you can fly there on an, on an easy flight and it's more cost effective. Uh, so this is a, this is a great news for, um, for Florida. Now, protocols, <laughs> protocols, <laughs> protocols. Ah, there's the rub. Protocols. Let's say conditional. My best advice is the same advice that we've been giving Sarah uh, and I have been giving throughout our complete through the seven episodes. It's to get vaccinated. Um, you know, that's you're going to ensure you're able to sail um, or sail without conditions. And Royal Caribbean, the Florida departing ships are recommending, but not requiring that they that guests be vaccinated. They're kind of working within that, you know, state law, um, as we know about. Uh, but guests who decline or who are unable to voluntarily show proof of vaccination at boarding will be subject to additional protocols, restrictions, and costs for COVID-19 testing and travel insurance. It's going to be more, a little more costly. It's going to, you're going to be wearing uh, masks in situations where vaccinated folks do not have to wear masks. Mm -hmm. If you are unvaccinated, it's going to be less efficient for you to sail on Royal Caribbean from, from Miami initially um, if you're not vaccinated. On and did I read, Brian, did I read somewhere that if, on, on one of the lines, I don't remember, but that one of, on one of those lines, if you're not vaccinated, you would have to be COVID tested every day or every few days. Did I read something like that at your own expense? I That's, thought I did. I can't say I've heard that. Okay. Maybe. You are, you are okay, the, you listeners, are the, I'm sorry. 
I don't think I'm making it up, but we'll, no, I, I will no, check no. it out you and get back to you. Capital, so you probably hear it a bit, a bit quickly, mm -hmm. more quickly than I do. Um, and they're changing constantly. And certainly the lines have made, that may be a celebrity policy. Don't hold me to it. It may be celebrity cruises policy because Royal Caribbean is making it clear that if you are unvaccinated, you are subject to additional costs that are, I mean, the insurance itself is a, is, um, you know, is a, is a, is an investment is, is, is a, you know, it's not cheap. Um, so, right. so um, you, you're, you're spending more money on carnival. It's just a bit different. It appears that most of their guests and the over 90% of their crew are vaccinated. They're sailing at 70% capacity. I'm told Ooh. I just got this update today. Um, on their ships. So they're in a situation where um, they, they're telling me there's a 5% capacity <laughs> within their fleet for the guests who are unvaccinated or underage to mm -hmm. be vaccinated. Um, so it's conditional. You may not, if you're not vaccinated, you may not be able to get on the ship. <laughs> right. So, you know, I mean, I think, I think, you know, our larger point here, people, even though I'm, I'm, I'm fuzzy on some of my facts. Brian is not. Brian is the, is the cruise uh, is a cruise expert here. But I think our larger point is that, you know, if you want the fullest, most free um, cruise experience, you really do well to get vaccinated. If you're vaccinated, you're going to be able to get on every cruise. You're going to be able to do every activity. You're going to be able to, you know, go to all the restaurants, all the, you know, specialty dining, all the, you know, special areas vaccinated people you know vaccination has its privileges it used to be american <laughs> express now vaccination has its privileges and you know obviously whether you get vaccinated or not is your own choice is a personal choice um some may argue that it's also a you know sort of community societal choice but it's up to you whether you get vaccinated but we're in terms of travel certainly if you want to make the most of travel we're definitely brian and i encouraging you to get vaccinated and see the world Anywho, on That's that what note, you gotta do. yeah, exactly. yes, exactly. So on that note, I wanted to talk a little bit about about an island that you maybe have not been to. It's called Saba. A lot of people want to pronounce it Saba, but it's called Saba, and it's a Dutch Caribbean island. It's only five square miles. And I mean, there's a lot of news coming out of this teeny tiny little island that I have been to once before. So I wanted to share that with you. Um, Sabre, I told you, it's five square miles. It's one of those islands like St. Bart's that pilots have to be really specially trained to land in because the airport runway is so short and so close to the I've to the it. water. It's yeah. I, I I did it once. I've seen it was, pictures of it. Yeah, yeah, right. it's a real knuckle gripper. Wow. Um, knuckle white knuckle whitening what you know what i mean you know what i mean yeah, i know yeah. but anyway yeah. um so it's known for, it's known for hiking um it's actually its highest peak is actually the highest peak in the entire kingdom of the netherlands netherlands mount scenery so it comes straight up out of the ocean it's a volcanic island so it's known for its diving it's also known for its hiking because obviously as i said the peak is um 2000 2000 feet of the of the island is under the water but you can go 3000 peak 3000 feet up the peak oh my goodness Ooh, maybe yeah, I should slow down, people. <laughs> but anyway, the good news out of Sabre is that the island opened its borders back in May. And as of this month, July, more than 85% of its population, granted, the population is only 1,800 people, it's tiny, but more than 85% of, of the island's population has been vaccinated. 
They also have a new tourism director. Her name is Melinda Hassel. And Melinda replaces our friend Glenn Holm, who, if you've ever been to uh, Sabre, you probably met him. He's a wonderful guy, and he worked in tourism for, for more than 40 years. So we wish him well. We say welcome to Melinda, and we also wish Glenn Holm very, very well. Um, if you are interested um, in going a little bit beyond the beach, because Sabre is, is quite famous, actually, as being the only beachless island in the Caribbean, like I said, it comes, comes straight up out of the sea. There is a beach that disappear, disappears and reappears, a very small beach with the, with the tide. But basically, it's all about hiking and diving, and they love their karaoke. It's a strange thing. But anyway, if, if you want to go to Saba and you're vaccinated, you will have to show proof of a negative PCR test result within 72 hours of arrival or the negative uh, rapid test result within 48 hours of arrival. And of course, if you're vaccinated, yay, you don't have to quarantine. But if you're not, you'll have to quarantine for five days and then take a rapid test on day five. If you want to go to Seba, it's pretty simple to get to. I mean, it's not nonstop. There are no nonstops from the U.S., but you do go via St. Martin again. So remember, you're going to have to fulfill those empty requir entry requirements for St. Martin and for Seba. Right. But you can take a flight from uh, St. Martin on Winair or SXM Airways. And if you want more information about Seba, go to sabatourism.com. But you should definitely go. I've been there, and it's like it's like a storybook. Beautiful, clean pristine, warm, friendly people, really off the beaten path and wonderful. Go. Have not had the chance. Want to. Sounds great. Yes, indeed. <laughs> do it. What's next for you, Brian? Well, yeah, um, I wanted to mention airlift. Airlift is the lifeblood of Caribbean travel, as we've, we've often said, and there's good news on that front. Um, a regional carrier, which I'm really familiar with, it's a great service, actually, Cape Air, will launch twice-daily direct flights from St. Thomas and Anguilla, beginning between St. Thomas and Anguilla, beginning November 20. The flights will operate between uh, Cyril E. King Airport in St. Thomas and Clayton J. Lloyd Airport in Anguilla and depart at 9.20 a.m. and 3.20 p.m. from St. Thomas and 11.20 a.m. and 4.35 p.m. from Anguilla. Two daily flights. The flights, they, they provide American travelers with a wider access to Anguilla because as Sarah knows, we all know, um, Anguilla cannot be reached right now by a direct U.S. departing flight. Um, Conversely, uh, Cyril King Airport is linked to multiple daily flights from U.S. cities. So if you want to fly to Anguilla, um, it's going to be easier. It's just going to be easier um, because you can fly to St. Thomas, which gets multiple um, stops from U.S. airlines. Get a quick Cape Air flight to Anguilla. Be there same day. Be there, you know, potentially on, in the afternoon on the beach you know, in Anguilla. And as we know, it's a wonderful destination. Um, and the new flights, they also support interregional travel, considering uh, Anguilla's proximity to other Caribbean destinations. So great news there. We are very thrilled today to have with us Belize's Minister of Tourism, Anthony Mala, coming to us direct from Belize. We're thrilled to have you. Welcome. Thanks for having, uh, having me. I, I look forward to the discussion today. Oh, yes. Everyone wants to know how to have an unbelievable vacation. So we're going to tell them. And I'll kick that off with my first question, which is an easy one. Um, tell me, what are the current entry requirements to come to, into Belize? 
Well, we opened the airport in October of last year, and since then we've seen a, a gradual increase. Actually, in May we were hovering around hovering around seventy percent of where we were twenty nineteen, and June is looking like eighty to eighty two percent of where we were. So the numbers are strong. I, I listened to you earlier before we started that it's the revenge travel, as they call it. And yes. We're feeling, we're feeling the full effect of that, uh, and we're yet to get to maximum capacity of where we were in terms of arrivals uh, for, for airlines. But in terms of the entry requirements into the airport, uh, you have to have a um, to be vaccinated two weeks prior to travel, uh, and then you don't have to test. But if you're not vaccinated, you have to test when you get to Belize or uh, just prior to travel. And with a rapid test 48 hours before and a PCR test 96 hours before. In June, we reopened two of our borders in the north with Mexico and in the west with Guatemala. It's a little bit more stringent there. And so you have to be vaccinated to enter the country. And, okay. you, and you have to test as well when you get into the country. So if I, call, if I recall correctly, Mr. Minister, Belize was the first Caribbean country to say to travelers, if you are vaccinated, you don't have to test. Is that correct? That is right. But, well, and it seems to be working for you. Those numbers speak for themselves. Yes, ma'am. Um, the Ministry of Health and Wellness reserves the right to sample anybody um, who may show some, some symptoms or, or the other. Okay, understood. Sounds, sounds makes sense. Well, those requirements are certainly, um, you know, certainly well considered. And, you know, you make a great point. Belize is not only, it's really a Caribbean country, but it's also a Central American country. It's bordered by Mexico. It's bordered by Guatemala. Um, so it does have to be, like all the Caribbean countries, your, your protocols have to be unique to your destination, uh, I imagine, Mr. Minister. Let yeah, uh, me ask about the state of infection in Belize um, through the pandemic and up till now. Um, generally, how many cases have there been, current cases? What's the status of infection? There have been about 350 deaths. Um, we have had um, about 12,000 cases or some, somewhere about there. Uh, and now, since we got into office, because we had a general election in, in November, um, the numbers were raging then, uh, and we have done a lot of testing, we have um, in increased the areas whereby people can go and have, have tests for free. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we have put in place the protocols and the, the programs necessary to curb the, 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 the increase in COVID over the last um, few months. And so now we have a, a level one um, for, for the CV CDC in terms of, of uh, COVID uh, and we're considered one of the safest destinations in the world. Now, um, we've been testing for the variant, and by Friday, um, with Baylor University, we should know if the, which one of the variants is here or if more than one. Uh, and we're putting, again, in place the protocols to prevent any major spread. And so right now, we have probably about, the, my numbers are saying, um, 38 new cases in, in Belize, and that's where we are. And Minister, are you seeing those cases caused by community spread, or are they from people coming into the country? 
community spread. Um, like I said, we um, have we, we we share borders with Guatemala and Mexico, uh, and we have a lot of border jumping. Um, my my minister is responsible for the management of the two facilities or the facilities uh, in, in the border areas, uh, and I can tell you um, that we have seen no cases because everybody has to test. Yes. I've seen no cases through the official border entry points, but the border is a, a long stretch of land, open, no, no fence like in the United States. So, um, <laughs> Not sure how well our fence works anyway. but uh, and, and so um, people can, can cross, and that's where we see um, most of the spread. In fact, when it um, got out of control, in, in all, from our perspective, it was because of border jumpers. But because of the construction industry and not the tourism industry. I, I just asked the Ministry of Health yesterday for a, an updated number. And since the reopening of the airport, we've only tested 55 or 55 people have tested positive for COVID through the airport. And for example, we got 21,000 in arrival in May and we only saw five people test positive. And so a smaller number and that we're going to be about 28,000 at the end of June. And uh, I guess, again, the number numbers are low. You've done, you know, you've described some of it uh, just now, uh, Mr. Minister, but um, what other things have you done to balance? I mean, like all of the Caribbean destinations that are tourism reliant, you have to balance the health of the public with yes. the need to have tourism activity. So what uh, things have you done to kind of make sure both things happen? So um, the size of gatherings, we've seen that we're in, we're in the, the graduation um, season. Uh, and so a lot of schools have asked for um, graduation um, ceremonies to be had. And, uh, and we've seen a little spike there. We've opened churches and uh, we've gone from an hour, three hours now. And we've seen spread in churches um, because people sing and they're close together. And uh, so we're... In the past, we used to, um, churches were closed, restaurants were closed, no, and then we opened for open air only. Now, indoors can open for 50% if they're well ventilated and they have um, a, a ventilation system, uh, like windows being open. So outdoor dining is at 75%, indoor is at 50%, plus necessary social distancing. And we had a curfew uh, at 8 o'clock, and then we expanded to 10. And then on weekends, starting on Thursdays, we expanded it to, to 12. But if we, um, and that's to cater to the reopening of the tourism industry. People don't want to come to Belize and be locked down at 8 o'clock. Um, we're, we're an adventure destination and people go on tours all day and then when they get back, probably late in the evening, they want to go out for a nice meal. And um, so we've expanded the curfew Till 10 and then on the weekends during the week and then um, till 12 during the weekends. So plenty of time to get in a bellikin then? Yes, ma'am. Just oh, checking. Yeah. Just checking. Got to do that. I don't drink it, but I know it. 
<laughs> so, Minister, let me ask you about vaccination. We talked already that we mentioned already that Belize was the first Caribbean nation to say to people, if you are vaccinated, come on in. You don't need to do a COVID test. But let's talk about your own domestic vaccination program. How has that been going? And also tell me, do you have a specific, was there a specific push towards getting people in tourism vaccinated? Yes. And um, one of the things that I've done uh, from I became minister was beginning, uh, began, I started to lobby um, for whenever the vaccination um, was was rolled out in Belize, that we have a specific number um, catered towards the frontline people in tourism. And, and we got 8,000 vaccinations um, to be designated for tourism frontline workers. About 80% of that 8,000 um, has been distributed. Uh, and so frontline workers are being uh, vaccinated, uh, especially yeah. for the, that is necessary for especially the crews, but overnight as well. Um, so it is mandatory for uh, all, all people who work in the cruise sector to be um, to be vaccinated. Oh, you, sorry, you said, so to, to clarify, it's mandatory if you work in tourism in Belize that you be vaccinated? Oh, no, no, it's, it's not by law, but for, for the cruise lines, for you to work, Ah, ah, I understand. Okay, gotcha. Just wanted to clarify. It's it's not by law um, as yet, but we're seriously considering it in cabinet because you know Caribbean people tend to have um, their own remedies to deal with COVID and so a lot of people. (laughs) A little bush medicine, a little herbal tea, a little sink of Bible. Yes, I get you. I understand. So right now, currently, we are at about 85,000 people who have had their first um, job and about 30,000 people who have been fully vaccinated. We just got another 100,000 doses of uh, AstraZeneca uh, into the country and now we are opening it up. If you look at, we've done well in terms of people who are eligible to get the vaccination mm-hmm. um, and now we're opening it up to everybody who is over 18. So we're talking about frontline people, people with underlying conditions are people over 60 years old. Now we're opening it up to the entire population. We have a very young population and 60% of the population is under the age of 30. And, and what is your population minister? 420,000 people. Okay. And 50% of our population is under 18. And so if you if you look at that about two hundred thousand people, two hundred and forty thousand people or so being half of the population over eighteen that could get the vaccination and we're at about nine eighty five thousand um going on ninety thousand at the end of this week. We we're doing well in terms of people getting vaccinated, but uh, there are a lot more people who need to be vaccinated. Um, you have a lot of people in underlying conditions, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, etc., who still need to be vaccinated. What a good start. Brian, I know you have a question for the minister. An excellent start, I have to say. And Mr. Minister, you know, you're a Belize native. Um, there's so many. It's such a diverse country. I've been there many times, and there's, there's I'm not even close to all the things you could possibly do in Belize. But... Um, what are the signature attractions and activities that are that are available to visitors now? Is it pretty much everything? I know, as you said, it's an outdoor adventure destination. Or yes. are there certain things that you that are open and some of that are not? Well, there, 
for me, there are still far too many people, and I have a marketing background. Um, so for me, there are far too many people who don't know that we have the world's largest living barrier reef. Um, yeah. The second largest barrier reef in the world. We have three of the four atolls in the Caribbean. We have uh, an extensive and, and dense uh, tropical rainforest, an abundance of flora and fauna. We have archaeological sites from the Maya era, Mayan era, uh, that dot all over the country. We have, a, the, I think, uh, other than the bigger countries, we are the most diverse small country in this part of the world uh, with a mixture of, of black, uh, Hispanic, white, uh, you name it. We, we are all Arifuna. Arifuna, um, we're uh, rich Mennonites and yeah. Rich, diverse Chinese, Indians, you name it, you can find everything here in the East. Uh, and so we have a, a good blend of natural resources. We have the Great Blue Hole, uh, it's a guy named from Virgin Atlantic. Uh, pretty much all of these are available. Sarah, I think you have one. Branson just um, went down there in, some, in a submarine uh, maybe a year or two ago. And so we have some great natural assets as well as a great um, blend of people that bodes well for music, for food, for all sorts of stuff, cultural activities. So it sounds like pretty much everything is open if you come to Belize now. Is that what you're saying? Yes. This, this is good to know. But what I want to know as we wrap up <laughs> is what is your personal number one favorite thing to do in Belize that you would recommend to a visitor? What's the one thing that they've got to do that they can't leave Belize without doing? Well, um, you, you can do so much, right? Uh, I can be diving the second largest bar reef in the world pristine waters uh, in the morning and I can jump on a small plane or a boat or, or in a car and I can be climbing a, a large archaeological site in the middle of the country and then by night I could be cooling out in a, a remote destination in a jungle resort or on the beach somewhere um, drinking a Guinness. <laughs> what? Not a Belican? A Guinness? Or do you brew it there in Belize? Yeah, we, we, bottle, we bottle it. Okay, you bottle it there in Belize. <laughs> so I think, what, I think what you're trying to tell us, Minister, is that you like to do everything and that when people should come, come, they should do as much as they possibly can while they're there. Right, but personally, I would, I just like, um, being a politician is tough. And so I, I like to have my getaway time sometimes and I would go with a couple of friends with them. Um, some highly trained fishing guide. I would go up the the rivers uh, and, and I would fish for snook. Oh, a little right. bit of snook fishing, all right? Well, I've never done that before, and it kind of sounds like an invitation to me, right, Minister? You're <clears throat> <laughs> Wonderful. Great. <laughs> you don't have to ask twice, you know. I'll, no, we'll I'll, invite ourselves. I will be a cool guide, right? Perfect. Perfect. Works for us. Well, thanks Minister, for being with us today, Minister. Yes, we're so thankful that you were here to tell us about your unbelievable destination. Yes, sorry, I just can't ever stop saying that. Um, I did not know the fact that you told, gave us about the atolls, so thank you very much. Three of, did you say three of the Caribbean's four atolls are in Belize, right? Um, and we have the largest and most extensive cave system in Central America. 
All right. The only, cave, no the only cave spelunking I've ever done is in, was in Belize, and it was fantastic. It was amazing. I leave you all to that. That's okay. Where are you from, Miss Sarah? Oh, well, it's a long story, but you hear Jamaica. Okay. So we have some mountains and rivers and stuff, but we don't have any at all. So that's a good reason why I should come, right? <laughs> I've, been, um, I've been to the Blue Mountains. Ah, do you like to hike? Yes, I have been there. Um, actually, my daughter was born in Jamaica. My wife was doing law school in Jamaica. And, um, I, I said, I will, I will hook you. So. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, Jamaica. Jamaica is a special place. We're definitely. I'm, you'll get no argument from me with that one. But we want to thank you so much for being with us on Complete Caribbean, Minister Marla. It was very illuminating to talk to you, especially and to hear about such a forward-thinking destination and about your vaccination progress. And we look forward to seeing you uh, not on the podcast, but actually in Belize very soon. Sure, you're you're all welcome. Uh, we want to invite the world to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you, uh, Minister Anthony Mahler, for that uh, wonderful, uh, Belize, for that wonderful uh, interview. Very informative. Um, great to know all of the um, various requirements and protocols to uh, enter Belize and uh, certainly what, uh, what you might want to do when you're there. Um, now, let's go to our Island Inbox segment and talk a little bit about our own personal uh, Caribbean uh, uh, kind of little uh, notes and side notes. And, and uh, you know, I want to um, talk a bit about um, our trip in June. Sarah and I were both in the British Virgin Islands. We did a joint trip and visited many resorts and we, we got a lot in in five days. Um, but I wanna talk about the three things I like best about the luxury resorts we visited. Um, for those of you who don't know, we were uh, at uh, three different places, uh, at least three different places we visited. Um, one was Oil Nut Bay, one was Rosewood Little Dicks Bay, and one was Saba Rock. Now, we actually spent uh, uh, two nights each at Oil Nut Bay and Rosewood Little Dicks Bay, and we did an extensive tour of Saba Rock. All feature five-star amenities, facilities, and services. These are true luxury resorts, all of them every single one of them. But I want to focus on a minute on my favorite aspects at each. Um, and at Oil Nut Bay, it was the secluded nature of the, of the property. The villas there are built into the hilly landscape and the hills, as Sarah can tell you, they're surrounded by beautiful indigenous foliage and the state things like uh, cactus, which you don't always see mm -hmm. in the Caribbean. And uh, it was just something special. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, just something very beautiful, uh, 400 acres, and the property is ringed by a beautiful calm water, white sand beach. There are uh, reefs offshore that, that make the beachfront very calm, um, beautiful uh, vistas and, and, uh, and uh, views from all over. And, and I like, uh, Brian, can I just say that I love that each of those sure. villas came with a golf cart. So you could really explore that end of, you know, I was going to say the island because it sounded like it feels like a private island. Right. But it's not. It's just the tip of Virgin Gorda. That is such a great point. It is the, the remote tip of Virgin Gorda. And I remember us talking with uh, one of our uh, one of our um, local uh, tourism people who said uh, people don't even want to work there because it's so, you know it's hard to get people to work there because it's so remote, it's so far from mm -hmm. everything else, and that's how it feels. It feels like your own private resort, huge private resort, cut off from everything else, but in a great way. 
Um, yes. So, yes, we had our golf cart and the roads are smooth, well-built, landscaped all over the property. And another thing I liked about that property is, uh, as it was pointed out to us, um, something you don't see are power lines or any kind of form of generation that's all buried underground. There are vistas all across the landscape and there are multiple um, uh, ways that they are, are, are using sustainable practices to, uh, to operate facilities on the island. So it's a great, it's a great combination. Now, we also did two nights at uh, Rosewood Little Dicks Bay. And I want to say, you know, the thing I like best about Rosewood, again, deluxe, wonderful, magnificent property. But the, the, the relationship of the Villa Suites, um, there's only 80, and the accommodations to the long, broad beach, which um, someone initially was telling us is four miles and Sarah and I are looking like it's big, but it's not four miles. <laughs> and Sarah, I think uh, ran the beach and we determined like it was eight is a mile or something. Yes, like it's that. about, a, yeah, it's just over. I think it's just over a mile, mm-hmm. just over a mile. It's just over a mile. And it's, it's a beautiful panoramic beach and all of the accommodations face the beach and uh, each um, uh, villa, your accommodations come with a personal butler. So you really kind of create this customized beach-focused vacation where you have deluxe amenities. There's a farm on, prop- on the property where some of the produce is sourced for meals. Um, you know, lots to do, beautiful spa, you know, facilities. So you, you know, you, you almost don't want to leave. You don't really have to leave, <laughs> you know. There's a well, lot they're of only, what, 10 minutes from the baths, right? So you, even if you do stay there, you should go and see Virgin Gorda's number one attraction, the baths. There right? you go. So you're 10 minutes from the baths. So, you know, you're, you have close proximity because, you know, one of the great aspects is that beachfront, that relaxed atmosphere. And one of the things I liked that I found there, that we found there, was um, there are buzzers in the palapas that you sit at on the beach <laughs> where you can summon, you know, refreshments and drinks. And I thought that was great rather than wag flagging somebody down and then walking back and forth across the beach. You or, know. God, or God forbid that you actually have to get up from your beach oh, no. there and oh, go to the bar. The <gasps> horror. <laughs> I know. I, I might have to go without leave my feature. So, so, yeah. So I thought that was a great thing. And, and finally, at Sabre Rock. Sabre Rock is this iconic... Um, uh, small-scale kind of property that uh, is halfway between um, uh, Virgin Gorda and, uh, and Tortola. And it's a great luxury way station for, for divers. And it's developed this little resort. It's only seven rooms. It's only seven rooms, this resort. Um, but it's five-star. And Sarah and I walked through this property. And for some reason, this is probably the most inventive um, yeah. distinctive design that I could room design that we saw anywhere. Um, there were colorful combinations of uh, bold colors and distressed woods and, and use of stone and barn doors. And I mean, it was just something special. And, you know, I used to write about home furnishing, so I know a little bit about this <laughs> stuff. Yes. So, you know, this was something special. And Sarah agreed. And there were photographs and paintings and memorabilia uh, that documents Sabre Rock's history. So um, it is something special. So that was it, my uh, big three from the British Virgin Islands. Um, that was a great time we had, Brian. And, and, and honestly, just to distill it down to three highlights is really hard for us, I have to tell you guys, because it was we were there for five days, uh, five or six days. And honestly, the tourist board get, kept us very busy. We saw a lot of stuff and there were so many highlights. Amazing. Absolutely. 
So there are um, some other hotels that I want to talk about. One in particular in Barbados. You may or may not know, guys, that my mother is Barbados. So I'm Bajan by association and citizenship. <laughs> um, so the island has a place in my heart. And I'm always very excited to hear about new properties that are opening there, particularly this one. Uh, this is the O2 Beach Club and Spa. It's going to open on Dover Beach in October. And it was, it's one of the very few all-inclusive resorts that you'll find in Barbados. If it sounds, if its name sounds familiar, it's because it was the formerly the Ocean 2 Resorts and Residences. But it's, it's going to debut in October as the O2 Beach Common Spa, and it's going to have a whole lot of stuff to entice you. Um, there'll be 130 rooms and suites. There are six restaurants as well as um, you have access. There's a sort of stay at one, eat at five program going on because um, the company is part of a, a collection of three hotels. And so you can go to the nearby Seabreeze Beach House and use their restaurants as well. There are seven bars at Ocean 2. They're going to have three pools. One is going to be on the roof. I think the only other rooftop pool I know of in Barbados is Sandals, I believe. Yeah, the Sandals. Um, Right. Um, they're going to have a spa and the spa is going to have Barbados's only hammam, which I think will make that hammam only the fourth in the Caribbean, if I'm if I'm correct. But anyway, you're up really on your hammam. I am up on my haram, hammam, hammams. Yeah. There's one at Zemi Beach Club in Anguilla and there's one um, in Conrad Vanderbilt in Puerto Rico. There's right. this one in Barbados and there's another one somewhere else that slips me. If, send me an email, anyone, if you remember, but there are four now. Anyway, um, I definitely think you should check this one out. Put it on your list for October if you're thinking about going to Barbados. You can find out more information at their website, which is O2, two, the number two, o2beachclubbarbados.com. And of course, you're going to need to know how to get into Barbados. I could tell you, but you know, as we say, those regulations change all the time. So the best thing to do is to go straight to the source and Barbados' official tourism website, which is visitbarbados.org. And very quickly, I want to just slide in before we finish today. You know, I'm a shopper, people. Brian actually doesn't talk about it, but he is also a serious shopper. But um, Brian, and this is, and this opportunity, this shop opportunity that I want to talk about is something that will is is something versatile and will suit both men and women as we start to travel and get back out there. I wanted to talk to you about a product I've used for a long time, and it's called Hickeys. They're called Hickeys, which are not what you think. They're actually these <laughs> silicone lace replacements that you can put into any pair of lace-up shoes, whether they're sneakers or Oxfords, any kind of shoe, bowling shoe. And they convert that shoe from a lace-up shoe into a slip-on shoe. So it's really handy for when you're getting in and out of security. You don't have to unlace and then lace up. Right. You just kick them on and jam your foot back in. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that well, maybe, maybe not jam your foot back in, but elegantly put your foot wow. back in. Um, they come in tons of colors. They come um, in sizes for children and for adults. A million colors, and they're really inexpensive, less than $20 for 14 of the straps, so seven per shoe. Um, I think they're really cool. Brian, I know, is a bit of a fashionista, and he has some nice lace-ups. I've seen him wear. Um, I think, Brian, you want to check out Hickey's. It's hickeys.com, H-I-C-K-I-E-S. Um, I just think that it's a great sneaker or shoe hack for people who are traveling, so give them a check. That sounds great. I love that idea. I am the guy at the line in the you know security line who is like fumbling with his shoelace and 
because I wear t- lace up shoes a lot. And uh, I think fumble really, no more, Brian. Fumble, oh, no, fumble more. no more. I will be slipping on and off. Rather, I think it relates to a childhood trauma of I didn't learn to tie my shoelaces till very late. And it was uh oh. We'll talk about that in another episode. Yeah, when but, we get uh, to childhood trauma, you know, it's time to wrap up the podcast. It was a, it was a, but uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's move beyond that and uh, talk about talk about um, you know. Um, Sarah and I interview people all the time. Um, and um, my best interview, I think, this year so far has been with uh, the environmentalist just this past week with environmentalist Costas Christ. Uh, he's a legendary global environmentalist who's uh, really pioneered sustainable tourism policy in 30 years. And he served as a, an advisor to CEOs, philanthropists, uh, tourism ministers, and heads of state. Uh, helping companies and countries achieve sustainable practices. And um, he's working very closely with Colombia, which is a, a country we don't always associate with the Caribbean, but it, it borders the Caribbean coast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, two points I want to make um, from our, our interview. He, Mr. Chris, pointed out how rich Colombia is in biodiversity. Um, it is a country where now I'm going to use some of his description right here because I wanted to make sure he, I put in his words. He said, I'm hard pressed to think of another place where you can go from a white sand beach and within an hour be on a glacier or on a snow capped mountain peak. They also, there's also, wow. there's also the Amazon jungle and dry tropical forests in Colombia. And there's a region called the now, I'm trying to get this right, the Impalas, that uh, is like a glimpse of Africa with the spectacular vast plains that are home to unique wildlife. Um, so, I mean, there's just so much diversity in Colombia. There's Cartagena, which is a UNESCO World Heritage City, and it's a, it's a um, cosmopolitan city. So in the same place, you have tremendous um, uh, 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 nature and tremendous uh, uh, culture. So that's one thing I want to say about Colombia. If you ever have a chance, visit Colombia. Um, and secondly, um, Costas made the point that, you know, we think of nature as something and sustainability. Nature is something we go and visit and we go and see when we, we go to places like Colombia. But as human beings, we're part of nature. We are part of nature and we have a responsibility to um, protect and preserve natural environments. Part of that is traveling to destinations and seeing destinations and becoming advocates and allies for uh, for places just by your um, you know being more knowledgeable about knowledgeable about them. So you know I always you know I, sometimes I think um, what we do in travel may always be a little uh, you know a little kind of a dilettante uh, uh, behavior, but we are expressing, you know, what we need to do to, uh, to protect our, our, our natural, our wonderful natural resources. So get out there and travel and learn more about uh, the, the beautiful places we have all around the world. I second that. I, I, I agree. Let's get out there. Let's find out what's, what the world has to offer, especially now we're finally inching our way back out into it, right? Absolutely. That brings us to the end of episode seven of Complete Caribbean. We're so happy that you tuned in and that you joined us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, Remember, uh, like us, subscribe us, love us. We love you back. (laughs) And we'll see you soon for episode eight. It's goodbye from Sarah. Bye-bye, guys. Take care, everybody.